and welcome to another special edition of Intelligence for Your Life, the podcast. I'm Gib Gerard. Uh, John's going to join me in a second here. This is another one of our COVID-19 updates. We have been doing, if you haven't been paying attention, we've been doing a lot of extra research uh, and, and a lot of extra interviews with experts surrounding this pandemic. Uh, today, our guest is Dr. David Katz. He is a uh, he is a medical doctor. He is a public health physician. Uh, he used to run the the Yale School of Public Health. So um, he is a he is a, a great resource to talk about the data behind this, and we're going to dive into that in a second. Um, but again, this is part of our continuing extra coverage of COVID-19. I know you guys need so much more information about this because you're not getting it everywhere. But we are uh, we are actively working to do this. If you would like to see what's going on here, this is a this is the audio from a Facebook Live that we did at facebook.com slash John Tesh. You can check it out there. Also, you can check out uh, for the latest updates as well. Uh, Instagram, Facebook, uh, Instagram is John Tesh underscore IFYL for John. And for me, it's at Gib Gerard. You can find links to both of those accounts in the show notes. But without further ado, here is Dr. David Katz, who is going to talk all about uh, COVID-19. Let's welcome Dr. David Katz. And this is, a, this is really a reunion for you and me and Gib because uh, you were on a cruise that we did. And everybody yeah, on that cruise, your got, life to, cruise. Got, got to meet your family, but also to hear you and to, and to get uh, some great. I'm, I'm just a healthier human being since then. Uh, that's great. And, and unlike cruises happening now, nobody got coronavirus. Yo, oh, wow. Oh, man. <laughs> nice segue. Was, Thanks good. a lot for ruining that conversation. Yeah, sorry. Sorry. But it's good to see you again. Yeah, Mike, you too. Nice. Hey, listen, we, uh, we, we want to get, get right to it because, you know, there are a lot of people who are now watching, and this is going to be on, on Facebook, and a lot of people are watching uh, our Facebook page and also listening to the radio shows that we're, that we're doing. And so it's really important for them not just to hear us sort of making guesses about what's going on, but uh, we, we really want to get some of your, some of your strategies and, and you know, there's, there's enough gloom and doom out there. What, I mean, let's, let's talk about, you know, healthy human beings and, and what are our chances of, uh, of getting sick? Because I, I, I'm hoping the, on the other side of that question is some good news. Yeah, there definitely is some good news. So I, I'm delighted to play the the, the role of uh, bearer of comfort and reassurance for the most part. So I, I've been scrutinizing the data on coronavirus around the world, following it very closely as best I can. We have the best data from South Korea because they've done the best job of surveillance in the whole population. That's really important, John, because if somebody gets really sick, and if somebody dies of an infection, you don't tend to overlook that. But if someone has a very mild case of the infection, maybe no symptoms at all, that's easily overlooked unless you do population level surveillance. So we really need that. South Korea is the only place that's done it. And what their data show is that across the board, 99% of cases are mild. No need for hospitalization, oh, wow. no risk of death. You just get better on your own. It's not fun to have it, although in some cases people don't even know they have it. It's completely asymptomatic. Some people it's like a, a bad cold, essentially. And some it's worse than that, but you're sick at home for a week and you get better. 99%. And even that number is misleading because that's across the whole population. Right. The mortality risk, so the risk of severe infection, needing hospitalization, the risk of dying massively concentrated in people with serious chronic illness or so diabetes, heart disease, for example, in people at least over 60, but the risk jumps up much more over 70 and it jumps up much more again over 80 
And, you know, as someone who has two parents in that age group, I, you know, I think we, we have to be bluntly honest with one another and say, you know, frail people with chronic illness over 80 were at risk of mortality in the not too distant future with or without coronavirus. Can you, can you define chronic illness Yes. Yeah. So, so again, specifically, as I look at the data, and and I'm you know I'm trying to get information from South Korea, from around the world. We now have pretty good details on the roughly 120 deaths that have happened in the United States. It's it's people both older, so it skews older anyway. Even even in people who have chronic disease, if you're in your 40s or 30s and have diabetes, the mortality rate looks to be very low. But if you're above, say, 50 or 60 and have diabetes and or heart disease, you're at increased risk. If you don't have diabetes and heart disease, so pretty significant metabolic disease, uh, the risk doesn't really jump up until after 70, and then it jumps up again very steeply after 80. And I don't know that even that's necessarily true if you're in robust good health. We don't have data, for example, from the world's blue zones where people routinely live to be 100 right. without chronic yeah. disease, you know, maybe there 100 is 80 everywhere else. We don't know that. But if you're in robust good health, you're at, at very low risk. More good news. I say this as a parent, no deaths in children, mm. none. Not a single death recorded in a child anywhere in the world to date. And how are you um, defining children? I mean, up through teenagers? Well, uh, yeah, well, so I don't think there's been a single death in anyone under the age of 20, okay? So yeah, through the, the teen years. Um, but extremely rare to see any death in anybody under 30. There have been a couple of cases in, in healthcare workers. I don't think we know why, and I'm not sure we, we always will know why. You know, in medicine, bad things happen. Sometimes they're inexplicable. You know, young people occasionally get cancer. Someone in their 20s occasionally has a heart attack. We don't always know why that happens. So maybe some rare genetic vulnerability, but almost no death at all in anyone under 30. Extremely rare in generally healthy people between 30 and 60. So, you know, the, the, the listening audience here, if you're worried about yourself and your kids, uh, I'm here as the bearer of good news. You are fairly likely, I think, to get this infection. I, I, I don't think we're going to successfully contain the spread, but it is likely to be a fairly mild condition for you and you will get better and your kids will certainly get better and may not even know they have it. Where I think our efforts need to be concentrated is protecting our elderly parents, uh, protecting people who are especially vulnerable because they have chronic disease. And if you are in that group, if you have diabetes, heart disease, you're above 70, then you need to take special precautions. E even there, the likelihood of recovering from the infection is massively in your favor, mm -hmm. but the risks of a severe infection are considerably higher. Yeah, that's great. It makes a lot of sense. So, so we are though, whether you think it's going to work or not, we, most of us are being quarantined. Most of us are being told to stay at home and to limit our interactions with people outside of a, a very small circle. Uh, that has led to a lot of panic buying that has led to a lot of, uh, to, to use a word, I, I think that you use catastrophizing of the situation. And because of that, there's been a run on food at the grocery store. So one of my concerns is that this, this is going to have a net negative effect on our health, both psychologically, but also physically, because we're, we're only going to be able to eat shelf-stable foods, which are not great for us. <laughs> well, yeah, yeah, yeah there, there's all of that, Gib. There, there's, there's also the fact that, you know, we're, we're shutting down businesses, we are unraveling the, the economic engine, and 
Yeah, I'm a profound believer in the social determinants of health. Uh, being unemployed is bad for people's health. Despair is bad for people's mm -hmm. health. Poverty is bad for people's health. Having a business that you are running that fails, bad for people's health. So the cost of, of, of economic collapse, which is kind of what we're threatening right now, are not limited to the economic costs. Mm -hmm. There are absolutely human costs. So, you know, maybe there will be shifts in dietary pattern. Maybe everybody's going to run out of toilet paper. That seems to be one of the great prevailing. I, I, don't, I don't know why. <laughs> I don't exactly know why. But, I saw somebody do the math. You have to be using the bathroom paper. like 118 times a day to go through yeah, yeah. two packs of Costco <laughs> toilet paper in, in two weeks. Um, but yeah, I think this catastrophizing is really bad for health. The, the other thing it's bad for is the medical system. W one of the reasons to focus on interdiction and containment, preventing spread of the virus is we don't want the medical system to be overwhelmed yeah. the way it's overwhelmed in Italy. But to be honest, you know, from what I'm hearing from my, my clinical colleagues on the front lines, you know, basically anybody who gets a paper cut is rushing in to get a coronavirus test. And, you know, it's coronavirus 24-7 in the news. Everybody's being cooped up at home. There's no business as usual. There's nothing to do but wait in dread and think, do I have it now? Oh, God, I stubbed my toe. Is that a symptom of coronavirus? And so the medical system is being overwhelmed by the worried well right now. So yeah, I think there are implications for what's available in the supermarket to some extent. Uh, I think there are grave implications for our psychological well-being. And I think there are long-term implications for the more uh, overt measures of health, including mortality. You know, people who are unemployed and despairing and, you know, turning to drugs and alcohol and all those things that happen when society collapses. They, they all happen during the Great Depression. We were worried that the scope of the viral infection could cause all of that. And so what did we do? In my view, we just went ahead and caused it ourselves preemptively. Uh, I, and, and again, can, th these two things that we're talking about go together. So, you know, the first point, 99% of, of, of people who get this infection have a mild case of it. Young people, kids, working adults, healthy adults. Um, you know, I don't think we need to shut society down to protect them because the disease does not appear to be severe in that group. I think we could preferentially be protecting the most vulnerable and society could keep running. And then people would have access to fruits and vegetables and toilet paper for that matter. And the medical system wouldn't be overwhelmed. The economic engine would keep humming. And I, I think that's important for public health. These these things cannot be unbundled. What can... Okay, so... I, I unfortunately, uh, I am not a policymaker, or fortunately for everybody, I'm not a policymaker. So I can't unravel the stuff that you're talking about unraveling or or or, or re-ravel them as you're as you're saying. What can we as individuals do in order to maintain our psychological health during this this time of isolation? I, I would say first and foremost, give you know, assuming that I'm I'm reaching you as a public health physician with a reassuring message that you know, again, if you're you're a, a, an adult with reasonably good health in that age group where you and your kids are, are not at risk of severe infection or death, look away. Uh, to the best of your ability, look away. I, you know, I suspect most people are just riveted on the case-by-case -case disclosures about coronavirus mm -hmm. and, oh, God, what now? Yeah. And, and the reality check here, Gib, you know, it's really important. Uh, 10,000 people, more or less, uh, die in the United States every day. A little bit less, but you know we have a population of 300 million, and um, we we lose three million people a day, and 
uh, excuse me, 3 million people a year. So, you know, something close to 10,000 deaths from all causes a day. Um, If you were focused on all the deaths every day from heart disease or all the deaths every day from cancer, if if we gave those conditions some new name and made it sound like there's a new threat in the population, we call it disease X, and and a person died and another person died, you would absolutely be freaking out. And we're doing that with coronavirus, even though thus far, at least, the toll of it is massively less. So a total of 120 people have have died in this country from coronavirus. Uh, and I think it's something like 2,000 uh, total deaths around the world. I'd have to check the latest figures. But, you know, heart disease kills several thousand people in the United States um, every few days. And so we could be focusing on those figures for cancer and, and going crazy. Look away. You really don't need to track every case. Um, you know, the world is a big place. There are a lot of people in it. And we are, the, the 24-7 news cycle fixation on coronavirus is massively amplifying what you're perceiving to be the risk to you and your family. Yes, this is happening. Yes, it's real. Yes, there is a likelihood over time that many of us will be exposed and, and get this infection. Mm. But the likelihood of severe infection, much lower. The likelihood of death, much, much lower. Uh, and meanwhile, all the things we take for granted, um, you know, death from influenza, death from measles, for that matter, heart disease, cancer, texting while driving, uh, you know, massively more common. We're just not focused on them. Right. Look away. Uh, go outside, get into the sunlight, go for a walk, like you know, to, look the best, away. You know yeah, to the best like of your ability, um, you know, contextualize this in the context of, you know, your overall life, your prospects for good health, and the fact that there were all sorts of things threatening your health before coronavirus, look away. Do you, I feel like the, one of the reasons, I mean, you're comparing this to heart disease, but one of the reasons why we lean, I think, why it's easier to sensationalize the coronavirus over, over say, heart disease is that we have, we feel like, for most of us, we have power over, over our heart disease. We can start jogging, we can walk, we can do these things that add up over time, Whereas you're either going to get it or you're not when it comes a lot of us feel that way with the coronavirus. Well, it, I think it's a great point, Gib, for two reasons. First, everybody feels like they have power over heart disease and nobody exercises the power, mm-hmm. right? So, I mean, a massive toll. So, you know, hundreds of thousands of people die of heart attack in the United States every year. And that's an almost completely preventable disease. So, yeah, we have the power. But is it really power if we're not using it? Right. I, I could prevent the heart attack, but I'm not going to. <laughs> but I, I could, so I feel better about it. Uh, you know, I think that's that's an important reality check in its own right. It's only really power if you exercise it. Otherwise, it's unused knowledge. It's it's latent power, and it's not doing you any good. Uh, and again, um, coronavirus would have to be you know near the absolute worst case scenario projections to be anything like what heart disease is in this country every year. You know, the single leading cause of premature death in the United States, several hundred thousand deaths a year, uh, is diet, poor diet quality, which contributes to heart disease and diabetes and cancer and all the rest. Yeah, we have control over it, but we don't exercise it. But there's another critical point here, Gib, if we go back to that discussion that the risk for severe infection and death from coronavirus is massively concentrated among the elderly who are prone to higher risk of death from all causes. That's what happens. We get old and eventually we die of something. Um, And the chronically ill. 
And those chronic illnesses are the very ones we could prevent because we have the power. We, you know, we don't have to get type 2 diabetes. We can prevent that with lifestyle. We don't have to get heart disease. We could prevent that with lifestyle. So now all of a sudden, you've got this very startling juxtaposition of I was cavalier about heart disease and diabetes because I knew I could prevent it if I ever decided I wanted to. But I'm freaking out about coronavirus because I can't prevent that. Well, actually, the very same lifestyle choices that would have given you a much better chance of robust good health, not having heart disease, not having diabetes would have massively reduced your risk now that there is this unexpected scourge of suffering a severe case or death from coronavirus. So your best defense against the slings and arrows of outrageous epidemiologic misfortune, whether it's familiar stuff nice or the new and exotic, is yeah. almost always using lifestyle as medicine, using the knowledge we have about prevention, health promotion, and practicing it because it's only really power if you practice it. And as a culture, sadly, we don't. You know, one of the things that I've been t telling our listeners and viewers about, um, and it's a you know, you and I haven't talked about this, but uh, it's part part of my history as I went through a cancer battle that began in 2015, and and you know, everybody did a great job on it. All the, the doctors and surgeons, and you know, and everybody and the chemo people. Uh, but but ultimately. My, my belief is that I ended up uh, getting getting healed of what was left in my body by quote unquote renewing my mind, and that was a that was a journey for me that was it, it was a it was a scriptural journey, but it also you, you see it a lot in, in in books that are written today uh, and stuff that you've been talking about, which is you know look look away, which is capturing every and this is actually from Second Corinthians ten nine, which is capture every every thought. Right mm. and cast it out to the obedience of Christ, but uh, I wonder if if you've experimented at all with or you have advice with, you can take the thought and, and given I was just talking about this, we both had, had sleepless nights last night mm -hmm. because we had stuff creeping in, you know, because it's you feel like you're, you're it's it's closing in on you, right? When you start yep. hearing all the, all of these reports, and I'm from local news, so I know that when you know when it bleeds, it leads, you know. See, so it's it's, it's right. it gets exciting for newscasters. It's just it's yeah, just a thing, sure. um, yeah. But but yeah, speak, it's hard, for, but, it's hard but, for you to both cover it and look away. John. Right, 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 right. But 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 speaking health over yourself rather than just taking every thought and saying, "Well, this is going to happen to me." I mean, I'm I'm convinced that I ended up getting cancer at the same year as my dad because that's all it was doing was talking about it and worrying about it. Can you so can you speak to that? I believe profoundly in you know those deep mind body interactions. Uh, you know, the, the, the greatest asset any of us owns is the power of our own mind, mm. massive influence over our physical well-being. A lot of those pathways have been mapped. So, you know, you're talking about a, a, a sort of a spiritual interface. But, you know, if, if we talk about it as a biological interface or a physiologic interface, a lot of those connections have been mapped. We know that the mind is shifting levels of neurotransmitters. Those are the very same chemicals that are hormones in the bloodstream in many cases, exerting an influence throughout the body, changing the levels of inflammation, in turn shifting the, the, the risk of all major chronic disease developing and progressing. So massively important. But I, you know, I think, and, and I'm sorry you went through that, John. And I'm great. I'm grateful to see you looking so so hale and hearty now. And you know, it's great to reconnect. You look great. Um, but you know, I, I think you're telling a really important tale of you know, sort of the resurrection of health, if you will. Um, you know, there is that opportunity at any time 
to reclaim your vitality by all the means at your disposal. And, 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 uh, you know, positive mental attitude is a big part of that, not catastrophizing. Um, and one of the things that, that's, you know, getting a lot of attention these days in, in medical research and in, in my field of disease prevention, health promotion, lifestyle medicine is the, the power of epigenetics. So, you know, I think most people know this at this point that 95% of our chromosomal real estate is not genes. 5% is genes, 95% is the epigenome. Essentially, it's levers and switches that can be changed in their setting and tell the genes what to do. So the genes you have are the genes you have. We, we can't yet do anything about that. And to the extent we could, it's probably you know a, a bad idea. <laughs> Uh, but we can massively, each of us uh, in our own lives, massively change what our genes do. So you can, by shifting those levers and switches in the epigenome, upregulate genes. So whatever it is they make, they make much more of it. Or downregulate genes. So whatever it is they make, they stop or make much less of it. And those things they make can shift the risk of developing cancer, developing heart disease, for better or worse. So the, the means that you use to find, you know, inner peace, relaxation, meditation, whatever, spirituality, whatever it may be, and in, in the case of, uh, you know, coronavirus fears, taking a deep breath, contextualizing the risk, welcoming this reality check and looking away, go out and, you know, walk in the sunshine, listen to the birds sing, um, those things really do make a difference. And, and they can make a difference in the short term. A good night's sleep can make a difference. So, you know, taking care of yourself over time, obviously, amplifies the benefits of taking care of yourself at any one time. But at any one time, given the choice, you can take better care of yourself and, and start to influence the, the layers of your defense against things like coronavirus all the way down to your DNA. Wow, that's big. Uh, do you recommend like, uh, like a meditation app or, or meditation of some kind or, or prayer? Or what, what, what is your go-to for that, that mind renewal you're talking about? So, so the answer is give yes. I mean, I, I recommend any of that that best suits you. And what I don't presume to do, and I, you know, I never did with my patients over the years, was say, you know, I know the best way for you to relax or you right. to get centered. Because, you know, for example, I tend to be a pretty restless guy. Uh, I, I crave productivity. Um, I, I, I've really tried, you know, to just meditate quietly and I, I, my wife encourages me to keep at it. I haven't given up on it yet, but honestly, you know, I, mostly what I do when I try to meditate is think about how many emails I could have answered. So, so, you know, for me, it's physical activity outside and in particular, it's riding my horse. I'm an equestrian. I have a horse. I mean, it's very Zen, you you know, to ride well, you want to be at peace and and convey that calm to your horse, but it's also, it's outside, it's in nature, it's, that's, that's my, that's my sanctuary. But everybody's is different. So, you know, there are, there's great apps like Headspace and, and there are all sorts of meditation apps. You could just Google that and there are all kinds of different approaches to meditation. Um, there's yoga, there's, um, I think there are lots of different options for people and you knowing you and, and the way you like to relax. I mean, maybe it's just, you know, listening to your favorite music. Maybe it's a hot bath. I think it's different strokes for different folks. But, I, you know, I would say any way you get there from here where you really do feel centered and calm and relaxed and and empowered to look away from whatever the cat- catastrophe du jour happens to be, um, that's the right way for you. You know, um, before we let you go, uh, you've mentioned the elderly, right? And you've sort of set them set them aside. I should say us 
because I am over 65 years old, right? Well, and you know, I, I'm pushing 60, so right. I mean, you know, I right, exactly. Right. So what, what should we, <laughs> the elderly, be doing to stay safe from the coronavirus? So, you know, it, there's there are an array of things that um, that potentially enhances uh, immunity. And so it, when when I was president of the American College of Lifestyle Medicine, I talked about the six cylinder engine of lifestyles medicine, feet, forks, fingers, sleep, stress and love. So feet, physical activity, always important to health and particularly important now. I mean, it's, it, it reduces stress. Uh, it's good for blood flow. Everything about it's good. Do it outside. Do it in the sunlight. Make some vitamin D. All the better. Uh, forks would be your dietary pattern. Great time. You know, if you if you haven't been serious about eating well, now would be a great time to get on board. It's really good for your immune system, and it can make a difference almost immediately. Um, by the way, for advice about diet, if I can throw this in, um, worst possible time to publish a book you've been excited about for a long time, right in the middle of a viral pandemic. <laughs> Wait, that's not fair to me. Oh, my gosh. But, I think uh, it's the Mark, best. No, listen, the book is called Relentless. It's the best time because you, got, you have to be relentless against it. That's the spin okay, that I'm using. Right, fair enough. But my book, which is called How to Eat, we, we were oh, kind of hoping. Oh, did you? Did you did, was, did, is, is your book just released? Just released. Mark oh, okay. Bittman. Tell, well, here, tell, tell us about it, and we'll make sure that we that we that we fix your, the problem you're talking about. What's <laughs> the name you. of the book? Yeah. Uh, it's called How to Eat. All your food and diet questions answered. Mark Bittman and I uh, wrote it together, and that's what we do. We kind of go through all of the what about this kind of diet, and what about dairy, and what about eggs, and what about grains, and what about seafood, and you know, and and lay it all out. Um, you know, the takeaway at the end of it all is is much what you would expect. You're going to be better off eating a diet of whole foods, minimally processed, mostly plants, lots of vegetables, fruits, whole grains, beans, lentils, nuts, and seeds. Now, all of that is absolutely important for immune system function. Uh, so that's an important thing. The other thing is if you smoke, now's a great time to quit because um, smoking-related lung damage absolutely increases your risk of mm. severe infection. Important thing to do anyway Important thing to do yesterday, just a little more important today. Um, really, and if you can't quit, cut way back. You know, give your lungs a break. Give yourself every opportunity. Um, focus on getting enough sleep, and that means focus on mitigating your stress because it's hard to sleep when you're stressed out. So again, look away, find ways to relax, get a good night's sleep. A good night's sleep actually enhances your immune system function tomorrow. You know, while you're waiting to see whether or not you get exposed to coronavirus, you can change your immune system function that quickly. And then love, um, you know, good social interactions. Uh, I don't know how well, and so, you know, I ordinarily talk about hugging people you love. Now we're doing social distancing. How do you put those two things together? But, but solidarity, you know, even if it's this, I mean, it's great to see you guys. It's through a digital platform. You know, we, we, we can't hug here, but it's, it's great to see you. It's great to connect. So to the extent that we can do this, whatever way we can do it, get with your people, derive support. We're all in this together. Feet, forks, fingers, don't hold cigarettes, sleep, stress, love. Those are the six cylinders of lifestyles medicine. If you apply those to yourself, massive improvement in your overall immune system, massive improvement in your mental attitude. And then, you know, honestly, John, at the end of all this, th th this is, you know, it's a historical event. Um, I think there are better ways for us to be handling this as a public health system. But it is, it's, it's bigger than any of us as an individual. So I would say, you know, we take the precautions we can, good personal hygiene, you know, no hugging, cut back on handshakes, stick with limited social interactions, wash your hands frequently. Everybody's heard that advice, all good advice. 
take good care of your overall health and your immune system and be a little bit fatalistic because you know what? We didn't have guarantees about our health mm. before coronavirus either. And you could do everything right, avoid coronavirus and still get hit by a bus. Well, so, a couple you know, of things here. first of all, people, you need to within this if you're within the sound of my voice, you need to buy this book by Dr. Katz called How to Eat and um, this is the best time to change your diet, to change everything. It's like it's it's a it's the pause button. So this is the best time to do that. And once you're when you're checking out on on, on Dr. Katz's book, don't forget to buy mine too. Anyway, um, <laughs> you you opened you opened the Amen. door. You opened the door on you would have handled it much differently. Um, how so? So and and I am conferring with public health colleagues and reaching uh, policymakers. So I would describe what we're doing as a public health response, shutting everything down, no school, businesses shut, restaurants shut, everybody, stay away from everybody else. I, I characterize that as horizontal interdiction. So interdiction is simply you know, stopping the spread, so containment of, of viral transmission. We're trying to be everywhere at once. I think we are creating anxiety, we're creating dread, and we are creating a, an economic calamity. Uh, and I think, you know, we perennially underfund public health and prevention in this country. You know, those of us in that field, I mean, we, we bemoan this year in, year out, it never gets fixed until a time like this when, you know, all of a sudden there are massive allocations of funds. But this is, you know, essentially pounds of attempted cure because we did nothing about ounces of prevention. Um, so I favor what I call vertical interdiction. And that means, you know, instead of looking horizontally across the whole population and trying to keep everybody away from everybody else, vertical interdiction means let's, let's look up and down at the levels of risk. Let's identify the people who are at high risk of getting severe coronavirus infection, people who are at risk of dying. And let's take all of the public health resources that we've now sent off in every direction and concentrate oh, them good. to do everything possible to shelter and protect those people. Meanwhile, the rest of us could get on with our lives and many of us will get infected, but then we'll be immune. And then we actually, the other thing about you know this that I think is an important distinction is I have no idea with the current approach what constitutes the all clear, right? Uh, you know, I mean, if we try to flatten the epidemic curve, and, and we slow this from a torrent to a trickle, well then, you know, basically the people who are at risk of getting severe infection and dying remain at risk of getting severe infection and dying, however long this goes on. I mean, maybe it goes on until we have a vaccine and maybe that's 18 months away. I, mean, I don't know if anybody can imagine living in this level of lockdown for 18 months. What I'm suggesting is, you know, maybe we don't need the curve to be so flat, let's let it be sharp, but in those of us who are likely to have a fairly mild infection, we become immune, we then represent herd immunity, and all of a sudden, it's safe for our grandparents to pick up uh, their grandchildren once again because their grandkids have been exposed and are immune now and can't transmit it. So vertical interdiction would be focus our, our sheltering protective resources of every variety on that segment of the population all of the world's data tell us are at specific and particular risk of severe infection and death. And the rest of us, I say we get it get over it and get on with our lives. Yeah, amen. Let me ask you a question. You are talking about a 99% a recovery rate, a 1% mortality rate, uh, or even a 1% severe rate, not even 1% mortality rate, which is in line with um, South Korea and Germany, but not in line with the global data. 
Um, are, are, why are you going with, with South Korea with that more optimistic data set over, over the global data set? Very good, Gib. Thank you. And, and let, yeah, let's be absolutely clear about that. So I, I don't want people to think I'm being unduly optimistic. And, and, and you know, I hasten to note here, I have exactly the same skin in the game as you. Uh, you know, my own, my wife, my children, my 80-year-old parents, you know, people I love. I'm right there with you. We're all in this together. This would be a really bad time to just say unduly optimistic things. So I can't tell you this is contained. I can't tell you all will be well. I can't tell you someone you love isn't going to be harmed or even killed by this contagion. Um, but what I can say is that most places around the world have done a very poor job of identifying cases of infection. Um, so, you know, in Italy, I think they have well over 200,000 cases, but they only know about 25,000. Again, if a virus spreads widely in the population and overwhelmingly it's mild, that's what the South Korea data tells, 99% of cases are mild. So mild that in some cases there are no symptoms, people don't know they have it. Um, what are you going to miss? You're going to miss the person who needs an ICU bed? Are you going to fail to notice that they need an ICU bed? Or are you going to overlook somebody who had a headache and was a little achy for two days, never told a soul, and then felt fine? Obviously the latter. So you only find those mild cases if you go looking for them. And no country has done that except South Korea. They, they actually instituted population-wide testing. They went looking for the cases people didn't know they had. They found a lot of them. And when they did all the math there, 99% of everybody who had this condition had a mild case. Mm -hmm. Now, I would say it's early for us to be too confident about anybody's data, you know, whether they're optimistic, pessimistic, or somewhere in between. I, I would say we've got to say, stay light on our feet, be nimble, uh, be good epidemiologists, follow the data as they evolve and tell us the full story. But so far, um, the, the, the mortality data from the cruise ship uh, contained population look exactly like South Korea, 700 people exposed and 1% mortality rate concentrated in the older people who are on the cruise. So everybody was exposed, they were, they were contained there. Looks just, it doesn't look at all like Italy, it looks exactly like South Korea. The data from China, which are pretty good, um, distribution of severe cases mortality looks exactly like South Korea. And even in Italy, uh, where again, I think we have a very distorted number of total cases, the mortality is concentrated in people over 80, over 70 with chronic disease. Italy. I think had several problems. First, you know, I think they had a quick influx of cases from China. They did nothing to interrupt the spread into the population, and they have the oldest population in Europe. And I think that combination meant you know, the, the, the number of people vulnerable to getting severe infection was a larger percentage of their overall population than we're seeing anywhere else. But I'm not being optimistic. Uh, I'm really looking carefully at all the data. And the, the risk here is highly concentrated in the elderly and chronically ill, and in particular, at the overlap of the two, people who are both chronically ill right. and over 70 or 80. That's really where we're seeing it. And again, doesn't mean the rest of, rest of us get any kind of guarantee, but we never get that. Um, but the risk is, is very, very, very remote uh, for you know generally healthy younger adults and seems to be absolutely negligible in ter terms of severe infection for kids. Just to reword this really quickly, your, your, your implication is that across the board in every country, the reporting of severe cases is near 100 percent. 
but the reporting of mild or or asymptomatic cases varies wildly depending on on which country you're dealing with so the mortality percentage therefore is is distorted by that just to clarify well said and and that's true in the united states as well you know looking at at so we we have maybe 7,000 cases roughly that we've identified at this point. I, again, I'm, I'm forgetting some of the numbers because they've been changing all the time and I, I've been looking at them until my eyes are blurry. Um, but we you know, we now have about 120 deaths uh, in the United States. And since the mortality rate has been really very similar wherever the data are good, what that means is we've got more than 10,000 cases already in the US and that's the 1% of that. And if we're measuring fewer than that, it's because we haven't found the others. And, you know, we all know why. We, we've all heard the news about having too few test kits and people wanting to get tested and not being able to do that. So exactly right. You know, everybody everywhere finds people who are severely ill because they're really hard to overlook. They call 911, they wind up in a hospital bed. Uh, but people who have, you know, mild, vague symptoms and never call anybody uh, go completely unnoticed all the time unless you do what's called active surveillance, you go out looking for them. And really only South Korea has done that. So um, let me see if I can pull this up here. Um, uh, it says, uh, it's from Sanjay Gupta, uh, Dr. Sanjay Gupta, Chief Medical Correspondent for CNN. Bittman, who's your co-writer, and uh, Dr. David Katz, are the Joe DiMaggio and Mickey Mantle of eating. <laughs> Best-selling author Mark Bittman and physician David Katz cut through all the noise on food, health, and diet to give you the real answers you need. Uh, boy, what a beautiful uh, cover, too. Isn't it great? Yeah, yeah. thank you. All it your food weird. and diet questions answered. So now, listen, this is the perfect time to release this book. I'm telling great. you right it's now. It's a great point. Okay. All right. Well, people cooped up at home, maybe they, you know, right. they yeah. use well, better that's, ex that's exactly Order right. on Amazon, wipe it down <laughs> when it shows up. Yeah, and right. I, I will say this. I mean, we, we talked about looking away. Um, it's a fun read. So, you know, the way we did this, you know, Mark and I sort of sequestered ourselves in this lovely farm for several days. And we just peppered one another with questions and, and answered them back and forth and recorded all of that. And then it was transcribed. And th this followed a couple pieces we did for New York Magazine that I, I shudder to say it kind of went viral. And it's the same style. So, it, you know, it's a lot like, you know, the two of us are saying stuff like, come on, really? Is that absolutely true? And, oh, you know, we're, we're back and forth and you get to pull up a chair to our coffee table and join the conversation. So it's it's an easy read. It's a fun read. But we really do cover everything. And there's a lot of it that really is directly relevant to what you might do right now to fortify your immune system against coronavirus. So, yeah, I, I think it's an excellent See, tip, I told you. You just did it. You just made the turn. <laughs> so topics include dietary patterns, uh, just what should humans eat, grains. Aren't these just carbs? Do I need to avoid gluten, meat, and dairy? Does grass-fed matter? Alcohol, is drinking wine actually good for me? And more. Bittman and Cass filter the science of diet and nutrition through a lens of common sense, delivering straightforward advice with a help. This is a bestseller. This there is the New York go. Times bestseller. What the heck? Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, and by the way, the, the story about Sanjay is really funny. He, wonderful guy, by the way, a really uh, a good friend. And obviously he's a very busy guy at the moment. But, we, you know, we asked Sanjay, you know, if he would do a, a blurb for the, the cover of the book. And, and he said, wait a minute, why would you possibly want me to do a blurb for you guys? I mean, it's, it's like asking a rookie when, you know, Bittman and Katz are the Joe DiMaggio that's, and Mickey Mantle. That's, 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 oh, that's great. And that's we good. said, uh, 
How about that? <laughs> <laughs> That's, perfect. That's perfect. And there it was. All hey, done. It's great to reconnect with you uh, again. And uh, good luck on the book. And we'll just we'll keep hammering away on it because I, I love books that are written like this. You know, it's like it's it's actually I think of it because I've been to many of these. I think of it as being a reporter, uh, you know, at a news conference mm-hmm. where you have all the smartest people on the day is there and you're able to ask them all kinds of questions. So it's uh, you, you guys would be the smartest people. Before we let you go, there's two questions nice. I want to ask you. One is what is one thing we can all start doing today that will improve our lives uh, in, in immediately? One thing we can all start doing today that will improve our lives? Mm-hmm. Um, well, it's a tough one. You know, I, I, I tend to preach the gospel of healthy living, but I, I guess, Gib, I'd, I'd have to say um, it would be for each of us to take stock of what is the one thing in our life that is most compromising the quality of our life right now. I mean, it's a bad, maybe it's a bad relationship. You know, maybe it's, it's some reconciliation that, you know, that that's long overdue. Um, if you can identify the thing that weighs you down and figure out how to put it down, honestly, I would say whatever that is, you know, as much as I want to say something about diet and health and, um, you know, assessing your diet quality and improving that, uh, that's, that's what my work is focused on these days at diet ID. But the reality is, Health is for the quality of life. You know, we, we don't tend to ask what is health for, but the reason people care about healthy is because other things being equal, healthy people have more fun. Life is better. Yeah. So, you know, the, the thing that you can do that will most improve your life is to fix whatever the thing is that is most weighing you down. Figure out how to put that down and put it down. And then maybe, maybe you need a friend to help you put it down. Maybe you need a friend to help you carry it. But you figure that out. I mean, I feel a little bit like I'm saying, you know, that the secret of life the is one the thing, one you're thing. Curly from, Honestly, you're curly from, it, it is, uh, it is, whatever it, it is for you is what it is for you. And I don't presume to say, uh, la- uh last, last thing, uh, aside from buying your book, how can people follow up with you? So I, I mentioned very briefly, I, I'm running a startup company now. We're on a mission to make diet a vital sign. People can learn more about that at dietid.com. Uh, you're very kindly showing my website on the screen, davidkatzmd.com, and that actually has links to my nonprofit, the True Health Initiative. It has links to Diet ID, and it has links to this book and, and the others I've written. That might be the easiest way to go. Um, the other thing that we're doing uh, both on my website and at the True Health Initiative is collating information, a lot of it I've written, but also many of my colleagues and friends, about coronavirus, what we know, what we're learning, how you can safeguard yourself and your family. So um, ideally, John, maybe you can link to these sites and um, they will be a resource for your very large audience too. That's great. And just, uh, and just because we're here and I know how to do this, um, Here's my book. I hope you enjoy it. Uh, <laughs> there you go. Excellent. Maybe you guys can trade books, like basketball players yeah, trade jerseys yeah, at the end of a game. That, that's you guys yeah, trade books. Yeah, yeah. And 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 listen, I'm gl- I'm really delighted that you are relentless, and you know that you've come back from the health challenges you faced. And and again, you look great, and it's so good to see you. you great too. to see. Thanks, you. thanks, and uh, thanks for being. I'm not even sure if you know this, but you're just such a big part of our radio show. We end up quoting you all the time. Dr. David Katz, go buy the book. It is how to eat, and thank you for being with us, and thank you for allaying a lot of our fears. But just, I mean, just being really honest. How about that? Stay well, my friends. Great to be with you. That's it for our show today. I hope you guys learned something. I know I did. Uh, you can follow up by David's book. Also, uh, check out Dr. Kaz's website. All of that is in the show notes as per usual. If you think somebody needs to hear this, they, they need to, if they are in one of the... Um, 
in one of the most affected categories, you go ahead and forward that to them. Or if you're somebody who is extra scared, but you realize that they don't have to be, you can forward that to them too. Uh, hopefully this information is helping you guys out. If you like it, rate, comment, and subscribe. iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts. Uh, also, you can check us out on social media at facebook.com slash John Tesh is where we're going live all the time with fresh interviews pretty much every day. All kinds of stuff to cover you while you're in this quarantine with us. Uh, also, uh, at John Tesh on Twitter, at John Tesh underscore IFL on Instagram. I'm Gib Gerard. Find me at facebook.com slash Gib Gerard or at Gib Gerard on Instagram and Twitter. Uh, and I will try to respond to every message that you guys send because we do the show for you. Hopefully you guys learned something today. Stay safe out there. Stay quarantined. Uh, and thank you guys so much for listening.